On the virtual Bible study tonight, we want to look at arguments for the existence of God. Very basic concept, obviously, but something that needs to be addressed. Uh, atheism is on an exponential rise in our culture. Seems like uh, it. And, well, I mean, statistically, yeah. I mean, you can you can search the statistics. But, but just and, personal experience. And our, yeah, how many of us have experience with? Maybe young people, especially, who've been raised uh, to believe in God, but when they reach a certain age, they abandon that belief in God. So we want to just talk about the very basic arguments that establish the fact that there certainly is a God who created all things. That's right, and it's reasonable to believe in a God. It's not a blind leap of faith. No, we're going to talk about that, and we're going to get started right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and we welcome you into the virtual bible study for thursday march 7th 2019 thank you for joining us on the program tonight my name is jacob gwynn my father greg gwynn is here hello dad great to be with you tonight good to jacob. be with you as well kyle's behind the controls kyle welcome hey, it's good to be yeah, here yeah look forward to hearing from you tonight kyle and we'll look forward to hearing from you on the other end of the line at 877-381-4567 that's toll free give us a call let us know your thoughts send us an email to questions at collegeview.com or sign in the chat room and uh chat with other listeners from around uh, well, around the country tonight, maybe around the world. We've got some emails from around the world tonight, and we'll look forward to hearing your comments as well. We uh, uh, Two or three weeks ago, we had a program we called Best Arguments Against the Theory of Evolution, and seemed to get good uh, a good response uh, to that. And so this is really a, a related topic. In fact, if you were going to be logical in 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 sequence, probably this should have come before that yeah, one. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but it is important to talk about the fact that there is a God in heaven and, and that it is a logical, reasonable thing to believe in God and not to just assume that it's some kind of a, a blind leap of faith. That's what we're often criticized as having just made a blind leap of faith. But actually, it's not so. It's, it's a logical, reasoned, uh, Approach. All right. And you asked two simple questions to our listeners earlier today. Yeah. Earlier today to our update list, we sent out just two questions. What are the three strongest arguments in your mind to prove that there is a God? Mm-hmm. Number one. And then and we just want to touch on this at the end of the program. How do you explain one God but three beings in the Godhead? That's a confusing thought to a lot of people. And we'll try to just address that briefly at the end of the program. All right. And we'll look forward to your thoughts. We've got lots of emails tonight. We're going to work those in as we go down your list tonight. And uh, we'll want to add your comments as well. So sign in there. We see Randy, Stephen, Donna, Kevin, Stephen, Melanie, and Arthur in the chat room tonight. And if you're in there, sign in. And uh, I was going to see if I could. I, I came across a quote uh, this week, and I sent it to uh, a, a person whose whose uh, whose child has is one of those young people who's lost their faith, doesn't believe in God anymore, and uh, it had to do with Albert Einstein. I wonder if I can find that. I don't know if I can find that real quick. Let's okay. see here. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Here it is. I thought this was interesting that 
Here's pro- maybe one of the greatest scientific geniuses that have ever lived in the history of time. Pro- I mean, I don't know. I, I, he'd, he'd have to be at the top of the list uh, or way near the top of everybody's list as just a pure genius. I mean, he, his theory of relativity, you know, uh, that's a hundred years old or almost a hundred years old, uh, is still the foundational understanding of how things work in the universe. And, and he was a man who could not deny the reality that there must be a supreme being. This was an interview that he did in 1929. He was asked if he believed in God. Here's his response. He said, I'm, I'm not an atheist. The problem involved is too vast for our limited minds. We are in the position of a little child entering a huge library filled with books in many languages. The child knows someone must have written the books. It does not know how. It does not understand the languages in which they're written. The child dimly suspects a mysterious order in the arrangement of the books, but doesn't know what it, what that is. That, it seems to me, is the attitude of men, uh, of even the most intelligent human beings toward God. We see the universe marvelously arranged and obeying certain laws, but only dimly understand these laws. So, I mean, I, I, I don't think he went nearly far enough, but he's basically making an argument there for the fact that there must be a God. Because of the complexity. Because of the complexity of everything. We see the universe marvelously arranged and obeying certain laws. That we only dimly understand. Yeah. So, uh, you know, to, to those who would say anybody who believes in God is just a dunce. Anybody who believes in God, uh, is not a thinking person. I, I would submit Albert Einstein as a, as a counterpoint to that claim. Well, yeah, Kent and Calvin George <laughs> sent in an email and his, his comment mirrors what, uh, Einstein said there. Um, the complexities of the essence of creation necessitates a divine designer, he says. Yeah, yeah the, the complexities of the universe. There has to be some designer behind the design. Yeah. All right. So I, I thought, Jacob, I, I, I've got an outline here that I put together a while back, and I just thought I'd go through. Uh, I've got five arguments that I think can be made, and I know that that – in all of our email stack there, a lot of these guys are going to be commenting on the same thing that I've yep. commented on here. Yep. Uh, the first of them is simply cause and effect. Cause and effect, basically the, the argument of cause and effect is that everything that you see, every effect, demands an adequate cause. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if, if I saw uh, uh, a flash of light over there in the other room, my mind would immediately say, wonder what caused that. A flash of light doesn't happen on its own. Yeah. There's, there's an effect. There must be something that caused that effect. Cause and effect. We reason that way all the time. Uh, now, with cause and effect in mind, we understand, just, just look at the, the physical universe. So here's the physical universe. Uh, it's a, it's obviously an effect. It's here. It exists. What could be the cause of the physical universe? Right. Well, you got three options. The options are the universe is eternal. That is, it always existed. So there doesn't have to be a cause because the universe has always been here. Okay. Secondly, the universe is not eternal, but it created itself. Okay. Or third, the universe is not eternal and it was created by some force outside of itself. Now, you presented three options there. Those really are the only three that it could be. I don't think you could come up with another potential argument. Either it's always existed, 
it created itself or something else created it. What okay. else, what other option could there possibly be? Okay. Now you can go through those three arguments and eliminate them. Process elimination. We know that the universe is not eternal. Um, Dr. Robert Jastrow, in a book called Until the Sun Dies, wrote, As a result of the most recent discoveries, we say with a fair degree of confidence that our universe has not existed forever. It began abruptly, without apparent cause, in a blinding event that defies scientific explanation. Okay. So here's a scientist writing from a scientific point of view who says, We know the universe hasn't always existed. Uh, uh, Dr. James Bale Bales, in a book called The God Killer, wrote, There are in nature radioactive clocks, so to speak, such as thorium and uranium. One half of each mass of these materials decompose every so many years, and one half of these in so many years, and so on. That's what we call that radioactive half-life. But such radioactive elements still exist and are still disintegrating. They have not been disintegrating forever. Since in an eternity, they would have already decomposed. Right. Get his argument? The fact that there's still radioactivity in the universe would argue that it couldn't have been here forever or the radioactivity would have decayed out. It would be gone if, yeah. if the universe was eternal. Right. Uh, British astronomer Fred Hoyle, writing in a book called uh, The Nature of the Universe, said uh, he, he was driven to believe in continuous creation, that is, creation of matter out of nothing, also known as the steady state theory. Uh, he says, you must believe in some kind of creation because the only alternative to it would be to say that the material of the universe is infinitely old, a thesis impossible to hold when one looks at the problem of hydrogen in the universe. If the universe were infinitely old, there would be no hydrogen left because hydrogen is being steadily converted into helium throughout the universe, and this conversion is a one-way process. That is, hydrogen can't be produced in any appreciable quantity through the breakdown of other elements. If matter were infinitely old, the universe couldn't consist chiefly of hydrogen as it does. There's more hydrogen than helium. Yeah. And if this clock has been running for a long, long yeah. time, it'd be the opposite. All right. All right. So, argument one is the universe obviously is not eternal. Could it have created itself? Okay. Well, you talk about a blind leap of faith, something from nothing, something coming from nothing. Yeah. Uh, there's no known process whereby matter could from nothing create itself and again that's the very law of cause and effect if there's an effect there must be a cause and so the only alternative we have left of those three that i suggested is that the universe uh, was created by something that existed before the universe did it is superior to the universe is of a different nature than the universe we believe the uncaused first cause is God. Well, Chris in Atlanta, Georgia says people know that all that exists has a source. Even Dawkins's book, The God Delusion, has an author, namely Dawkins. Rather than some pieces of paper absorbed ink somehow in an intelligible way, got themselves into order and became bound. That notion is absurd, so we have a creator, Chris says. Yeah. And Randy in Michigan says science tells us that something does not come from nothing. There has to be a first cause. The Bible tells us Jehovah, the great I am, is the first cause. So thank you for that, Randy and Chris. Exactly right. Uh, Stephen in the chat room mentions uh, that I mentioned that we are accused of having a blind leap of faith. He said faith is not the absence of evidence. Faith is specifically not having seen something with your own eyes, though you have lots of evidence for it. And he references Hebrews 11, verse 1. I think you're right, Stephen. Okay. All right. Um, 
So uh, the, the first argument that I think that we could powerfully make for the existence of God is the very fact that we exist, that the universe exists. There had to be something that caused it, and and nothing within itself could have done that. There has to be, in this physical universe, there has to be a cause outside of superior to uh, the universe itself. And we believe that that external force that created the physical universe is the God who is described in the Bible. All right. Cause and effect. Cause and effect. I think it makes a strong case for the existence of God. All right. But it's not the only case. No. And you hinted at, at a second one that I have in my list. And Kent, in his email, mentioned design demands a designer. Uh our physical universe is literally full of examples of amazing, intelligent design. Uh, probably the one that registers most with us, although it may not even be the best illustration, but our physical bodies, well, which may be the most complex organization of matter in the physical universe, our physical bodies, uh, and, and, uh, what did the psalmist say in Psalm 139 at verse uh, 139 verse 14? 139 verse 14 says, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. So our physical bodies is an example of something that's incredibly designed. Uh, we we argued this, by the way, when we were talking about evolution. How could all that we see, all the living things that we see on planet Earth, be the product of mere chance? Uh, the design of things argues against evolution, but the design of things also argues for in, for an intelligence that made it so. Right. Uh, the psalmist also talked about this in Psalm 19. I think our listeners will be really familiar with Psalm 19, beginning verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out uh, through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he hath set a tabernacle for the sun which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven and his circuit to the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. And so on it goes, talking about the amazing design of the universe. Design demands a designer. And really, if you were to suggest otherwise, I mean, we see Kyle sitting over there behind a couple of computer monitors, and if we were to suggest that those computer monitors just... First of all, they just materialized on their own. They, they created themselves. We already said that's not even possible. And secondly, they're, they're, they're pretty sophisticated bits of equipment, but they just there was, a, there was a mass of matter there, and suddenly it just arranged itself into those computer monitors. If anybody suggested that, you would say that they had absolutely lost their mind. They need to be committed somewhere. Yeah. But that's basically what the atheist is saying. The matter came about without cause, and then it organized itself into amazing systems that on on their own, without any intelligence to to direct that process of design. It's, it's ludicrous, uh, but that's that's what. Uh, 
atheistic scientists are trying to suggest to us that we should believe. Jim in Kentucky says the intricacy of the universe and creation is one of his strongest arguments. The human body alone and its ability to function defy, denies the concept of an accidental beginning. Just look at your human body, and, that, and you'd have to conclude, if there is no God, that this happened by accident, yeah. the complexity of the human body. He says, evolution is a theory and not an answer. The Big Bang has too many unanswered questions and requires too many co- co- coincidences to be believable. And, and that's, that's true. This all happened by accident. There was an explosion, and the result of that explosion was the order and complexity that we see in the universe today. It, 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 it as he says... Uh, requires too many coincidences to be believable. You know, the, you, you've heard the old illustration that there was an explosion in a print shop, and it resulted in a set of uh, bound encyclopedias. You know, mm-hmm. what would be the chance of that? It was obviously stupid. It would be stupid to even suggest that. But that's what we're supposed to believe if yeah. we don't believe in God. Or a tornado a went through the lumber yard and made a neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, did you see those pictures of that tornado that went through South Alabama this week? I mean, it, it, total devastation. But but we would be led to believe, as you as you just said, that that a storm like that could go through a wood. The picture that they they took a drone flight over a section of of woods, and the trees were just like scattered and and shattered and just laying everywhere. But we're supposed to believe that that could have happened, and it could have. Framed itself up into a, a, a massive building. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Joshua, not sure where Joshua is. He's uh, in Indiana, I think. Indiana. He says, I, I think the information argument is one of the strongest arguments. Where did all the ordered and organized information we find in DNA come from that we find revealed to us by the research of the Human Genome Project? Information of this complexity and magnitude has a source. And an all-wise God would seem to make them more logical sense than blind chance. So just look at DNA, he says. Yeah, and, and again, there's, there's another. I, mean, I referenced a, an encyclopedia. Maybe some of our young, young listeners wouldn't even know what an encyclopedia is anymore. But, but the information encoded within the DNA of a single cell, we're told, would take many volumes of, of books the size of an encyclopedia just to record the information in the DNA in a single cell. Yeah. Stephen in the chat room says, what caused the explosion? You know, you keep backing this up far enough, you've got to get to a point where something outside of this realm would have caused the first cause. There has to be a an uncaused first cause. Now, we accept that. We accept that we believe. So you could back it up far enough and say, well, who caused God? Yeah. We accept that we we believe God is the uncaused first cause, and He's outside of this realm. But He's not He's not under the limits of That's this right. physical universe. Right. But the scientists, atheistic scientists, are trying to get us to believe that within the bounds of the physical universe and under the laws that regulate this physical universe, it came into existence on its own, and it organized it organized itself into the complexities that we see on its own. That's the difference. All, everybody's going to have to believe in an uncaused first cause at some point. I think our position is much more logical because we we accept that there's an uncaused first cause. We believe it's God. But our uncaused first cause is not controlled or limited by the laws of the physical universe. Yeah. 
Peter in Australia sends in his comments. He says, firstly, one simply has to look at the, around the world. It is just not feasible to anyone with the smallest iota of intelligence that this all came about by accident. There has to have been a creator. Thank you, Peter, for your comments tonight. And Melanie in the chat room says there is evidence in the complexity of human intelligence and the fact that no other animal compares to that ability. That lends itself to also to intelligent design and how humans are special and created in the image of a greater intelligence. Thank I you. You're right, Melanie. Thank you for that, Melanie. We're overdue for a break. We'll get one, and we'll get your comments on the other side. As we look at the best arguments for the existence of God, what are yours? How would you answer that question? Send it in the chat room tonight. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Do you remember when elders, deacons, preachers, and Bible class teachers and all church members had strong commitment to the Word? Do you recall when you can always count on book, chapter, and verse preaching from the pulpit? Can you think back to a time when Christians were known as people of the book because they knew their Bible so well? We're still trying to be a church like the church you read about in the Bible. And we're still doing the same things you remember from way back when. Are you longing for a return to the way things used to be? Come and visit. See for yourself. Here's some quotes worth pondering. He who provides for this life but takes no care for eternity is wise for a moment but a fool forever. No person has ever been honored for what he has received. He's always been honored for what he has given. Unless you are able to dismiss, ignore, and disregard idle gossip, you will always be busy trying to keep up with unnecessary trouble. Worry doesn't help tomorrow's troubles, but it does ruin today's happiness. The fellow who does things that count usually doesn't stop to count them. Man, wish I'd said that. Broadcasting around the world with truth that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. And we're back on the program. as look at the best arguments for the existence of God, and there are numerous. We haven't even scratched the surface yet. So did, did we cover all of our correspondence there on, on cause and effect and... Uh, intelligent design. Did we get everybody? Yeah, well, Kent in Georgia, he he says simply, the universe did not create itself. There must be intelligent cause behind creation. Exactly. And that's a logical conclusion. The universe didn't create itself. It couldn't create itself. So I like what he said. That's the the logical conclusion. Please understand that when, when we speak of God, we're talking about what logic demands. And when... Atheistic scientists tell us otherwise; they're being illogical. I mean, that's just that's just the the, the very simple fact of the matter. Okay. All right, let's go to another point. I know some of uh, some of our email correspondents have mentioned this too, and that's the idea of of a, the fact that men possess a moral nature. Uh, men, even men who don't profess a belief in God, have some sense of what's right. Uh, it always am- amazes me, for instance, you get some uh, incorrigible criminal who's been arrested, but he expects to be treated fairly. Right. He expects that he should have a, a, a fair trial and so forth. Uh, and maybe this is a guy who brutally murdered several people, but he expects that when he is executed by the state that, you know, he shouldn't have to suffer at all, you know. Uh, and, and so there are objections to some of the execution methodologies that have used, you know, the electric chair is too brutal. A lethal injection may, may he, the guy may hurt for a few seconds, uh, Kyle, before he dies. And he doesn't think that's right. He himself is an incorrigible uh, mass murderer, but he expects to be treated fairly. 
Well, where did that sense of fair play come from? Even in a guy who's a horrible person, he has some basic sense of fair play. Yeah. Uh, you go to you go to the ball game and you're in line to buy your ticket, and somebody cuts in front of you. Hey. Go to the end of the line. It's not your turn. You know, don't cut in front of me. All of that sort of. Where, where did we come up with that? You know, animals don't have that. Yeah. Uh, in the animal world, the biggest, the meanest, the strongest prevails. Uh, if if an, if one animal is stronger than the other, he takes from the weak one what he wants. He maybe kills the weak one. He might even eat the weak one. He, the, an animal has no sense of morality. But human beings do. Where did that come from? Uh, where, where, uh, and, and you can sort of expand that argument. You know, uh, appreciation of beauty. You know, so you see a beautiful sunset, or you go out to the Rocky Mountains and you see all, all the majesty of the mountain, and you're just sort of awestruck by what you see. Animals don't stop to appreciate that sort of thing. <clears throat> where did that come from? Where did where did where did this intelligence that has a moral concept in its thinking an appreciation of beauty in its in its understanding where did that come from uh and again we believe that that is that that you can't really explain that concept if you take god out of the picture in romans chapter 2 the apostle paul said in romans chapter 2 verse 14 for when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Notice, there was a law written in the heart of the Gentiles who didn't, didn't have a relationship with God. Uh, so uh, I think that expression by the Apostle Paul there, indicates something that God put in humans that doesn't exist anywhere else. How did that get there? Why would we, why do we, several years ago, Jacob, we, we interviewed a famous atheist, Dan Barker, on the Virtual Bible Study. That's still in our archives. And that's one of the questions that we posed to him that he didn't really have a good answer for. Right. Why do we take care of our sick and our elderly, the infirm, the handicapped, those who are not able to care for them? Why do we take care of them? It's not doing anything for us. Right. It's not, it's not furthering the, the, the humankind. It's slowing us down. Right. Why don't we just get rid of these? Yeah. No, we, we take care of them. We, we have a sympathy and an empathy for those less fortunate. That is not a. That is not something that would have evolved naturally. That indicates that God put that in us, and so this moral character of man is an argument for the existence of God. Chris in the United Kingdom uh, signs in, and he says, "Objective morality. If we, uh, we are all uh, there is, then why should I feel compelled to follow what is right rather than what helps me at the moment?" Exactly. It's because placed within me is a conscience. An arbiter beyond myself to follow decrees that are innate to every society and is given by one who loves us enough to not let us scramble around in a kind of moral fog. Very good. I think you're right, Chris. Chris. And Kent in Georgia said at the end of World War II, when Nazi war criminals were placed on trial, the prosecution for the allied nations argued that the Nazis were guilty of criminal action based upon their violation of a higher moral law. While they did not violate the civil law of Germany in following the dictates of the Nazis, they did violate a higher moral law that murdered fellow humanity. Higher moral law cannot exist without a higher moral law giver. 
that higher moral lawgiver is God. Uh, that's right along the same line. I think you're exactly right, Kent. Exactly Thank you, right. Uh, so uh, we, I think this makes a strong case for the fact that there must be a creator because we would not have developed these concepts. It wouldn't. It wouldn't have been to our advantage if, if, in, in, a, in a sense of of uh, godless beings who just happened here, evolved out uh, by chance. There would be no benefit for us to have these these characteristics and trends within us, yeah. but we do. It's got to argue that there was a God who placed these things within us. All right, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Should we take a break? Yeah, let's take, take a break, come back. We want to talk just a little bit more along those lines about man having a desire and a nature to worship. We'll talk about that when we come uh, back. And I missed Stephen's uh, email from Georgia on the intelligent design thing. Oh, read that. He says intelligent design theory points out that everything we can look at obviously has a designer. I see no reason to exclude the universe, which includes us. The Bible opens with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This verse includes the five known elements of the observable cosmos. In the beginning time, God, the force, created power, the heavens, space, and the earth matter. All right. Thank you for that, Stephen. Thanks, Appreciate Stephen. Your comments. Thank you. And we will answer your comments as well during the break. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study will continue right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the Virtual Bible Study right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. Jesus taught, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Matthew 5 or 6. This verse describes an intense craving to be in a right relationship with God. The words that Jesus used here for hunger and thirst denote a level of intensity and desire that would be similar to a person who is about to starve to death as versus a simple hunger pain or a person about to die from dehydration versus someone who had a mild desire for something to drink. Christians often wrestle with a number of problems that could be easily resolved in our minds and removed from our lives if we simply ask the question, am I hungering and thirsting for righteousness? For instance, the supposedly hard questions about social drinking, smoking, dancing, movie and TV watching, immodest dress, bad language, and so forth, all just vanish in the face of this test. If I desire to be right with God at the same level as a starving man desires food, it will be simple to answer these challenges and do the right thing. Watch how neatly this divine principle works on the problem area of church attendance. Ask yourself, would a starving man pass up an opportunity to eat a good home-cooked meal? Answer, obviously not. Why? Because he's starving. Now, would a Christian who hungers and thirsts after righteousness pass up an opportunity to meet and study with other saints, to worship God and study his word? Answer, certainly not. Why? Because he craves to maintain a right relationship with God, and such assemblies aid tremendously in that direction. You can see the idea here, and the challenge is to make the application in every area of your life. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm Kate, and I'm three. You're doing, and this is the Virtual Bible Study. Missed a recent Virtual Bible Study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the Virtual Bible Study. Well, we're welcoming you back to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. I want to remind you this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, where you can also find out more information, uh, Kyle, about that streaming of our worship services. Yeah, which uh, on our website now there is a link to the YouTube or uh, YouTube channel, College View live stream, uh, which we uh, yeah we've been streaming for the past few Sundays, and we're streaming all of our uh, Bible studies sessions and 
it's uh, really good. And we have several lessons on there now, so you can go check them out. So yeah, we're building a, building a library pretty fast because we're actually putting four different services every week on there, two Bible studies and two sermons each week. So that's piling up pretty fast. You know, we've got a, a pretty vast uh, library of past episodes of the virtual Bible study, but we're only adding one a week on the virtual yeah. Bible study. But Kyle's on, trying to catch up with us. On College View live stream, we're getting four new programs a, a week, and so there's a lot of information there. All right, check it out. if you uh, would College like View live stream. Go to YouTube and look for College View. Oh, just go View. to our homepage. You can go to, college, you can go to our website, collegeview.com, and right underneath the the, the, the uh, title and the picture of, uh, of our church building is a link to our YouTube channel. But if you're just if you're just on your phone and you want to find it real fast, go to YouTube, search for College View Livestream, and it'll be right there. All right. If you've got questions or comments, we want to hear from you. Uh, and of course, I always remind people, College View is spelled funny. I don't know who ever started that here years ago, but College View is C-O-L-L-E-G-E. College View is V-U-E. It's all one word, College View, right. V-U-E, not the way it should be spelled. All right. We, rec- we would request your comments at any time on anything you've seen or heard on this program, on our live stream of our worship services. Questions at collegeview.com is the email address you can use to get in touch with us. We're talking about the best arguments for the existence of God on the program tonight, and we still have several to go. Uh, I just wanted to add, just uh, this is really closely associated with the point that we were making a minute ago. Man has an, an innate moral nature that doesn't exist in anything else in the universe right part of that and very closely associated with that would be the idea of man's desire to worship man is a worshiping creature wherever civilizations of men have been found especially past civilizations of men uh Whatever time or place, they've always been found to be worshiping something that they regarded to be superior to themselves. Uh, Again, we would ask, where did that desire to worship, how, how did that come about? Again, you don't see that in, you don't see that in anything else in the, in the material universe. You don't see, uh, animals worshiping. But man worships. Now, there's all kinds of worship, obviously, and there's been a lot of perversions of 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 worship through. I mean, I mean, even gross things like sacrificing babies and uh, committing fornication in the name of worship, and I mean, yeah. all kinds of gross perversions. But where did this inclination toward worship? Where did it arise? I, I think it's again an, an innate characteristic put in us by the Creator. Chris in the UK says, we all have desires or appetites. Hunger leads to proof of food, he says. Inquiry leads to proof of knowledge. Worship leads to one bigger than ourselves. Interesting. Thank you for that, uh, Chris. Yeah, exactly right. All right. Did, you, did we get all those, Jacob, or we yeah, covered? There's another one here. Uh, no, I think we did. Go okay. Ahead. All right. Um, let me add one more argument on my list i had five things so uh, let, let me summarize my five things and a lot of our correspondents have said basically the same cause and effect design demands a designer man is a moral creature man is a worshiping creature and number five one of the ways we know there's a god is because god has revealed himself to us in in the written word uh, all of the arguments we've been talking to up to this point deal with evidence that's just observed in creation. And we call that natural revelation. So we know God by virtue of natural revelation. 
what we can see. And, and, and what we're saying there is if, if a person, if an honest, logical person viewed the cosmos, he, if he's being logical, he would have to say, there must be some force that caused this. I don't know what it is. I don't have any information about what it is. But just from what I see, i got to tell you, this didn't happen by chance. right? Natural revelation would lead us to that conclusion. There must be some such superior force. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't know anything about this superior being unless he chose to reveal himself to us, and he has. Mm -hmm. And that's what we call special revelation. God has spoken to us, and we learn about God by virtue of what he has revealed to us as recorded in the Bible. God inspired men. He gave them knowledge. He planted in their heads information that they were able to to relate to others that 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 the inspired authors of the Bible wrote down and recorded for us that and, and we can have that today. Uh, God used the means of special revelation to make Himself known to us. Uh, now, notice Romans one verse twenty. The invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. There Paul saying, you just look, you're, you're actually without excuse. If you can look at the universe, if you can look at creation and say there's no God, you are without excuse. That's, that's, that's crazy. That's illogical. That doesn't even make sense. If you could look at creation, he says, uh, the, the invisible things of God are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead, so that those who deny are without excuse. But having said that, we, again, we wouldn't know anything about God unless he chose to tell us about himself, but he did. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which thing also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And so, uh, just like I can't read your mind, all I can all I can know is what you ch- tell me is right. going on in your mind. Same thing with God. We can't know God unless he chooses to tell us about himself. And, but he has chosen to tell us about himself through the, the word inspired by the Holy Spirit. We call that special revelation. So one of the great arguments for the existence of God is that he's revealed himself to us. And every argument that we would make... That proves that the Bible is the inspired word of God is an argument for his existence. Yes. Uh, in the chat room, um, we, we're, we're not keeping up with all of the comments in the chat room, but Stephen uh, in the chat room says, evidence for the existence of God, fulfilled prophecy. One of the greatest fulfilled prophecies is Daniel's 69 weeks prophecy. And it's talking about a specific prophecy, and we're not going to go into specific prophecies tonight. But the point of it is uh, that... 
we would use fulfilled prophecy as as an as a proof of the inspiration of the Bible. And everything that proves that the Bible is inspired proves that there was a there was one who inspired it. If the Bible couldn't be the product of mere men, then there has to be a product of God. Yeah. Uh, that's what Randy in uh, Michigan says. He says the Bible was written by around 40 men over a period of about 1,500 years, men with varying degrees of education, different nationalities, and diverse cultures, containing 66 books of law, poetry, history, narrative, and prophecy. Each book reflects a unity of facts, teaching, and purpose. There's no book, other book in the history of mankind that took 1,500 years to be written by around 40 men and of different nationalities and diverse cultures, and to reflect uh, and reflects a unity of facts, teaching, and purpose. He says, you take these things that were written over 1,500 years by 40 different people of differing backgrounds and experiences. You take all those things, put them together, you've got a perfectly unified book with a common theme that runs throughout and Impossible. no contradictions. Impossible without divine guidance. Yep. And he says everything in the Bible can be proven right or wrong. Touching history, geography, science in the Bible has always proven right. The one true God has revealed himself through the Holy Word. Exactly right. All right. So, again, that special revelation, we think, is a strong argument for the existing. Are you got anything else? Yeah. Stephen uh, says... Um, Hundreds of fulfilled prophecies uh, point to a being who exists outside of time and space and who declares the end from the beginning. I agree. And then um, Peter in Australia says there have been so many attempts over the years to eradicate God's word, the Bible, but yet we still have the Bible available to us today in accurate translations of original documents. Uh, And sadly, some not so accurate, too. This has to have been achieved due to the influence of a greater being. So he says just the fact that the, the word has been preserved. Exactly. In spite of efforts to eradicate it. Yeah. Okay. So, so we have we have had several episodes through the years uh, on the virtual Bible study discussing the proofs of the inspiration of the Scripture, and actually every every proof that the Bible is inspired is a proof that there's a God who inspired it. So uh, that's a really good way to approach it, I think. Now, quickly, you said that there are some consequences. If we fail to accept the truth. Yeah. Think about this. Uh, leading up to our, our last break, and then we're going to go to this question of three persons in the Godhead. So if you're an atheist, you, you know, choices have consequences. If you if you choose to take a position and you have to logically accept the consequences of the position that you hold, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're an atheist, if you deny that there's a God... Then you have to, first of all, you have to accept without the ability to prove that God does not exist. In other words, not, we're trying to prove that God does exist. You'd have to prove that he does not exist. And to prove God's not existence, you'd have to be everywhere and know everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, as an illustration of that, someone says, if you, if you uh, wanted to prove that a written statement was not from the pen of Shakespeare, you'd have to know all of the writings of Shakespeare, both public published and private even one page that he did not know that you didn't know might be the one that contained the quote in question so in other words you're saying there's no god you have to be everywhere uh, all the time you'd have to know everything to prove that there is no god. So basically we're arguing your, your position is unprovable if right. you secondly now to what we've been talking about tonight, you'd have to believe that matter is eternal 
Typically, the atheist scoffs at the idea of an eternal God, but you have to believe in something eternal. If you don't believe in God, you have to believe in eternal matter. You'd have to believe, as we talked about in our recent episode on evolution, you'd have to believe in the spontaneous generation of life from non-living matter. Right. Uh, I think this is an interesting quote. This is from a guy named George Wald, W-A-L-D, a Harvard professor, a Nobel Prize winner. He said concerning the production of life from non-living matter, quote, One has only to contemplate the magnitude of this task to concede that the spontaneous generation of a living organism is impossible. Yet, here we are as a result, I believe, of spontaneous generation. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. Here's a guy who won the Nobel Prize in, in science. He, he's a professor at Harvard. And he, he, he concedes that spontaneous generation of life is impossible, but I believe in it anyway, he said. Where's the logic of that? Yeah. But if you don't believe in God, you have to believe in eternal matter. You have to believe in a spontaneous generation of life. You have to believe that all of the design that's evidence in the universe is a matter of pure chance. You'd have to, you'd have to believe that man's consciousness, his ability to reason, the power of speech, the love of beauty, the, the, the moral sense of right and wrong just came about on its own. Yep. Uh, you'd have to, you finally have to say, if you believe in, if you don't believe in God, and you, you, you'd have to say that man is just really, truly just a higher animal. Uh, and, and we really don't deserve any more consideration than any other animal would. Yeah. That's what you have to accept if you don't right. believe in Lots God. Lots of consequences to that uh, uh, unbelief. Um, and certainly we're convinced that it is most reasonable to believe in uh, God. Let me, let me read one quote real quickly. This is this is from uh, J. W. N. Sullivan. J. W. N. Sullivan. Time magazine called him one of the world's four or five most brilliant interpreters of physics to the world of the common man. I want you to re- notice what he said. I, I notice the prejudice that he had against accepting a reality of God. So here's a guy. He's a he's a famous physicist. He's an atheist. He says, the beginning of the evolutionary process raises a question which is as yet unanswerable. What was the origin of life on this planet? Until fairly recent times, there was a pretty general belief in the occurrence of spontaneous generation. It was supposed that lowly forms of life developed spontaneously from, for example, putrefying meat. But careful experiments, notably those of Pasteur, showed that this conclusion was due to improper observation and it became an accepted doctrine that life never arises except from life. So far as actual evidence goes, this is still the only possible conclusion. But since it is a conclusion that seems to lead back to some supernatural creative act, it is a conclusion that scientific men find very difficult to accept. It carries with it what are felt to be, in the present mental climate, undesirable philosophic implications. And the undesirable philosophic implications are that there's a God God. out to serve him. Uh, He says, uh, it it is opposed to the scientific desire for continuity. It introduces an unaccountable break in the chain of causation and therefore cannot be admitted as part of science unless it is quite impossible to reject it. For that reason, most scientific men prefer to believe that life arose in some way not yet understood from inorganic matter in accordance with the laws of physics and chemistry. See, he says, I know it doesn't make sense, but i got to believe it because if I don't believe it, I'm going to have to believe in God, and I I just can't bring myself to believe in God. Can't stomach that one. Yeah. Okay. 
we need to get a break. We missed one, and it's an important one. Jim from Kentucky says one of the strongest arguments for God's, God's existence is Jesus Christ. Exactly. And everything that proves that Jesus Christ is the resurrected Son of God, just like we're saying everything that proves inspiration proves God, everything that proves that Jesus is the resurrected Son of God is a proof of God. Excellent point. Thank you for that, Jim. All right, we're going to get a quick break, and when we get back, the last question for tonight. We want to just talk briefly, and I think it's a confusing thought to some people. What about one God but three beings in the Godhead? Let's talk about that briefly when we come back. We'll talk about that, and we'll get your comments on the other side. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study goes to the top of the hour right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. What does your church have for my children? At the College View Church of Christ, we don't have pizza parties or putt-putt nights. We don't have softball or basketball. We do have the Bible. We do have the powerful sayings of the gospel of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We do have the love for your children's souls to never substitute the solid spiritual teaching they need with superficial secular activities. If this is what you want for your children... Bring them to Bible class this Sunday at 9.30 a.m. at the College View Church of Christ. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. There were approximately 42 million abortions carried out around the world in 2018 based on statistics published by the World Health Organization. 8.2 million people died from cancer in 2018, while there were 1.7 million victims of HIV-AIDS. Overall, the deaths by abortion outnumbered those from cancer, malaria, HIV-AIDS, smoking, alcohol, and traffic accidents put together. That information is via the Christian Post. The Word of God says in Proverbs 14, beginning verse 12, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. We're back on the program, going to the top of the hour. We've got about ten minutes to cover the idea of the Godhead. I'm going to go ahead and call it now. You're not going to get it done. Uh, let me go real quick here. Okay. And you be scanning uh, right. our emails to see if you can add some comments from our emailers. Uh, the uh, First of all, we believe that there's one God. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So we believe in one God. But I think the best way to think of that is one divine nature. Mm-hmm. Just like we might say there's one humankind. There are obviously billions of humans on earth, but there's just one humankind. And that's what we're saying when we, there's one God. There's one divine Kind, there's one divine essence. But those characters and qualities of deity are possessed by three beings. Uh, for instance, Galatians 1, 1 says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So one of those divine beings is God the Father. Another of those divine beings is Jesus, the Son of God. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14 of that chapter says, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the Word was Jesus, and the Word was God. So the Father possesses this these characteristics of deity. The Son possesses these characteristics of deity. 
But we also know that the Holy Spirit is called God. In Acts chapter 5, beginning verse 3, Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled thine heart uh, to lie to the Holy Ghost? So Ananias lied to the Holy Ghost. And, he, and to keep back part of the price of land, whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. So Ananias lied to the Holy Ghost. He lied to God. The Holy Ghost is God. So there are three beings that possess the attributes of deity. There's one God. There's one divine essence. And there's three beings that that have those qualities, Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, they are not just different manifestations of the same being. Uh, We could reference Luke chapter 3, verse 21. When Jesus was baptized, the Holy Ghost descended in the shape of a dove. The Father spoke from heaven and said, "This is my, uh, Thou art my beloved Son, in Thee I am well pleased." Father, Son, and Spirit—all three seen in that one episode. We could go back to Genesis one, verse twenty-six. God said, "Let us make man in our own image." Who, who was He talking to? Let us make God, make man in our own image. He was talking about the, the Son and the Spirit, who were who were also actively involved in the creative the R process. Indicates multiple. Our image, not yeah. my image, but our yeah. image. Right. And then I really like an argument from John 8, beginning verse 13. The Pharisees said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself. Thy record is not true. Jesus answered and said unto them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I am not alone, but I and the Father that sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bear witness of myself. The Father that sent me beareth witness of me. Jesus, now, if, 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 Jesus was just manifested in one form as the Son and in another form as the Father. He was actually presenting a false argument there. His argument demands that there be two separate beings that give testimony to this outcome, that he is the Son of God. And and that would argue that these are not just different manifestations of of one being, but actually separate, distinct beings. Uh, Now, the big question comes up, how can three be one? Well, again, three share the same attributes. Uh, I, I like a, a, a some of our, I, I meant to Kyle. I meant to put this on your computer, and I forgot to do it. Uh, you could sort of draw a triangle of men: Tom, Dick, and Harry. Say, mm-hmm. Tom is not Dick. Dick is not Harry. Harry's not Tom. But they are all human. They have the same. They have the same characteristics. They possess. They possess the same basic constitution. They're made up the same way. Draw that. Draw that triangle again. Father, Son, Spirit. The Father's not the Son. The Son's not the Spirit. The Spirit's not the Father. They are separate beings, but they all possess the same innate qualities of deity. Yes. Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, and then. And then they can be said to be, three can be one in the sense that they are perfectly united, not only in their very being, in the, in the, in the essence, so their character or the qualities, but in, in their work and in their unity. Uh, uh, for instance, we don't have any problem when Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, beginning of verse 6, I planted Apollos, watered, God gave the increase. So then neither is he that watereth anything, neither he that 
uh, neither, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth increase. Now, he that planteth and he that watereth are one. Well, they weren't one person, but they were one united in purpose and cause. And so we use that kind of terminology, and that kind of terminology certainly applies to the Father and the Son and the Spirit. They are one. They are united in purpose. They are united in character. They are one in that sense. There is one God. Peter in Australia says this is something that I used to really struggle to comprehend. I'm not even sure I do so now, let alone to explain He says, the simple explanation I give to children that a single being can have multiple roles or titles is something someone said to me once in a Bible study. I am me. I am one single person. However, I am a son to my parents. I'm a brother to my siblings. I'm a husband to my wife, and I'm a dad to my children. That's four different roles, four different names, titles, yet I'm still only one person. Each will call me by my relevant title to them. I do believe the Trinity is one of the hardest aspects of our faith to comprehend and probably the most challenging for a new believer. I think... Peter, um, Peter's explanation, I don't think, goes along with what you've presented. Yeah, I, in the I understand though. what Peter's saying, but I don't think it fits this. I mean, I understand that different titles can be applied to one being, but but these arguments prove that they had to be separate beings. Especially that argument from John eight, where Jesus said, "I testify of myself, and the Father testifies of me." But if they're just different titles of the same being, then Jesus was actually constructing and offering. A faulty argument, a deceptive argument in 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 his claim as to his identity. And back to Genesis chapter one that you mentioned. Let us make man in our image. I don't refer. I might. I do have different roles and different titles, but I don't refer to myself in the, in the plural. Yeah, I don't say you're a father and a husband and a son. But you don't say we're tired. We're hungry. Yeah. We we need to go get something to eat. No, yeah. I'm talking about myself. Yeah. Singular. Okay. Um, Chris in the UK says. Um, the Trinity is, uh, within the one being that is God, there exist eternally three co-equal and co-eternal persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In case someone objects to this, uh, that this contradicts the Jewish stating of the Shema in Deuteronomy 4, verse 6, uh, the one is a notion of plurality. When God said to Adam and Eve, male and female, he created them, and they shall be one flesh. They, though in the entity of marriage, are still two separate persons, for example. so They're the, one in marriage. Husband and wife are one, yep. but they're two different beings. Kent Georgia says this is only one true divine. There's only one true divine essence known as God. Uh, this one God is comprised of three specific persons, such as illustrated by the essence of a triangle. One can view a single triangle and nothing the oneness of such a triangle understanding uh, that such an essence is composed of three distinct corners. He had that triangle yeah, idea yeah, as well. Yeah. And then Randy in Michigan says God, uh, God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit are three persons, beings, but they are one in plans, purposes, and working. They're I, one in. They're united in one. Yep. In one purpose. I agree. I can say there is one God. Again, there. Uh, they are one in plans, purposes, and working. They are one as a husband and a wife are two persons, yet they are one. Well, that, that's true. That's speaking of the unity of the Father, Son, and the Spirit and the unity of purpose and, and work. But I actually think one God is the one divine essence or nature, as Kent was saying. Uh, Stephen in the chat room says, uh, where in the Bible is the term Trinity? It's not in the Bible. That's a man-invented word. I, I, 
And, and for that reason, I typically try to avoid using the terminology Trinity, although I understand what it's supposed to mean. I prefer the the, the word Godhead. Uh, that's that's the least found in the King James Version. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. Acts 17, verse 29. Godhead is also found in Romans 1, verse 20. It's found in Colossians 2, verse 9. So the word Godhead, I think, is a better term for us to use rather than Trinity, which is not a Bible word. All right. Uh, he says you're not going to allow an opposing letter, are you? Well, we're getting to get to it here, Stephen. Here we go, quickly, before time runs out. He says he cannot accept the unbiblical idea that the Holy Spirit is a person. In John's eyewitness description of the throne room in heaven, Revelation 4, verse 5, the Spirit is described this way. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. King James uses the word Godhead three times, not found in other translations, which means deity or divine nature. In none of these verses is there even a hint of so-called third person known as the Holy Spirit. However, by contrast, we see the absence of the Holy Spirit in Second John, verse 9. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. Because God is always referred to in the male gender, when described as he, it is assumed that he must be a person, an assumption not supported by the collective weight of Scripture. We are back to the understanding that the term Elohim is a singular, singular plural. The Trinitarian doctrine is patently wrong. It is not found in the Bible. I don't agree. I don't agree. I, I agree the word Trinity is not in the Bible. But uh, Stephen's only only verse to argue against the, the reality of the Holy Spirit is to take a figurative expression in the book of Revelation. How about dealing with the verse I brought up, Acts chapter 5, <laughs> verses 3 and 4, where the Holy Spirit, you, they, Ananias they lied, lied to, to the Holy Spirit. Spirit. You have lied not, to God. Do not lie to men, but unto God. Yeah. Uh, Stephen, I'm going to send you, I'll send you an outline that I, a much more involved outline that I've pre- presented a, while, uh, a good while back, not on this program, but uh, about the the reality of the Holy Spirit as a distinct divine being. I'll, I'll, I'll try to send that to you, you can tomorrow, make that Stephen. available to any of our listeners. Yeah, if you want that, send me an, an email to questions at collegeview.com. And you also have some very uh, detailed argue, uh, outlines on uh, arguments for the existence of God, some of the material yeah. we talked about. Tonight. Yeah. You can provide that as well. Yeah, so let us know if you want that. By, uh, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. All right. Uh, Kyle, any thoughts from you tonight? That was some very good arguments. and some very good arguments for the existence of God. So it's just uh, it's something everybody should be curious about, everybody should be knowledgeable about. So <clears throat> it was a good study. Thanks, Kyle, for helping us get it on the air tonight. Dad, thank you for your time tonight. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you for listening, and hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.